Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, through chapter 12, verse 9. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were there in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of God. Past few months, we've been going through our sermon series, The Blueprint of Redemption, essentially going through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And in Genesis, we see the days of creation, some of the patriarchal fathers of the faith. And essentially, what we see in the book of Genesis is a blueprint of redemption. Um, We're seeing a a framework for redemptive history uh, in its fullness. And as we kind of dive into this Advent season, we essentially see what it means for King Jesus to be the fulfillment of Old Testament history. And through King Jesus, through the book of Genesis, we want to see how that radically shapes our lives today. So let's dive into it this afternoon, shall we? One of my favorite movies of all time is the 1998 film, The Truman Show. Jim Carrey, he plays uh, Truman in Burbank. He's this cheerful insurance adjuster in this cozy town uh, where days are running like clockwork. Until there's a one day, uh, a stage light falls out of the heaven, and it crashes near his car. And for Truman, it becomes this epiphany moment, if you will, where he then develops this suspicious awareness that everything is not as it seems. 
It's through this epiphany moment he would eventually discover, he would realize that he would be the star of a, a reality television show. As here he realized that in his life is not his own, that he is actually just an actor. All the people he's seen throughout the days were all extras. And in this small town, it's not necessarily a small town, but it's actually this gigantic set. It's enclosed by a bubble and is overseen by a, a television director with a messiah complex. So the premise of this movie is Truman wrestling with this struggle of life, essentially asking the question of which life is really better. Because at one hand, you have this one life that he was accustomed to, this one life with a false sense of security, but at the same time, it was very comfortable. It was all a lie, but at least he knew what it was. It was all deception, but there was nothing to fear. On the other hand, you have a life of uncertainty, not knowing where things were going and how things may turn out, but there is a truth on the other side. So, in the final minutes of the Truman Show, we find uh, Truman finding the exit door, and then he hears the voice of Christoph, who's the television director. He's played by Ed Harris. And in this one moment, he speaks to Truman, and what he says is, he says this, he, he says, stay. Stay for this better. And it's better because it's, yes, it is a fake artificial world, but in this world, you have nothing to fear. It may be made up, but at least you know where you're going. So at the very end, Truman, he considers this and he states, well, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. We see him go through the narrow door of uncertainty, but with a greater hope of the life that he was meant to live. And so it is with the Christian faith for you and I. See, when God calls you and I to faith, it is feeling like you're going through a, a door of uncertainty. Because in many ways, what you are going through, when you are navigating through the narrow door of faith, you are also realizing that the things that you once knew weren't what they were seemed, um, that the things that you once found security isn't really secure at all. But you go through the narrow door of faith. Why? Because we believe that Scripture says that the life in him is far greater because it is far greater to have a relationship with the one you were meant to have a relationship with, and that shapes how you live today. So this afternoon, we're going to go see this through one known as Abraham, and the main point is this, that God is calling you and I, and he is calling you and I to him. And in him, we find a greater calling on how we are to live today. So I have three points for us this afternoon as we navigate um, through Abraham. Uh, first, in God's calling, we're going to see that there is a greater hope. Secondly, you're going to see that there is a greater security. And finally, in God's calling, there is a greater agenda. Hope, 
security, and agenda. Our first point, a greater hope. What's happening in this passage? Now, here in the end of Genesis chapter 11, we are introduced to one known as Abraham. Now, to a certain degree, everyone knows who Abraham is. In fact, the three monotheistic religions, we have Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, they all call Abraham their their father. According to Genesis, God calls Abraham from his home in Mesopotamia to journey to the promised land where God promises to multiply Abraham's offspring and he would make them a great people and a blessing to the nations. Now here's the thing. What I want to highlight is that we're so accustomed to celebrate Abraham's blessings of being a blessing to the nation and having a great name. But what's often neglected, something that we often forget, is the despairing circumstances that seem to go against this promise. What do I mean? So if you look at Genesis chapter 1 through 11, it's essentially uh, spiraling down. It's it's, a telling of of the brokenness in the human race. We see Genesis 1 and 2. We see creation, and creation was made perfectly. But in Genesis chapter 3, we do see the entrance of sin. And there on out, beginning from Genesis chapter 3, is this spiraling down of the human race that there is an increase in brokenness, there is an increase in suffering, there is violence, corruption, and evil. But throughout this corruption, throughout this spiraling down, we see this one line of hope, this one single family line is the family of Seth. So in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, we see this line, uh, this family of Seth unfold to one known as Terah, who was Terah. Terah would be the father of Abraham. So as you kind of look at this text, we say, oh my goodness, we praise God, because now in this moment I see the line of hope, but not so fast. Why? Genesis chapter 24, verse 2 says this about Terah. God says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. To simply make this plain, Terah and his family, they were idol worshippers. They lived in Ur, which was the center of idol worship, meaning the last family, that ray of hope that was prophesied, was actually a family that worshipped idols, and they were no longer worshipping the God of Israel, Yahweh. They were going away from true idol worship. So in this spiraling down, Genesis chapter 11 is not what it seems. It, in reality, is actually a closing of all humanity. But what do we see in the end of chapter 11? We are introduced to Abram. Now you're thinking, oh, great, right? That is the line of hope. That is the great redemption. Not so fast. Look at verse 30. Now Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. The one that Abram marries was unable to have children. One commentator says it this way, when we see the barrenness of Sarah, it represented darkness. It represented hopelessness. It represented no future at all. 
So here we are. The story of humanity should have ended. The last chapter, the flickering candlelight, the TKO of human history. Did you ever feel it as hopeless? Did you ever experience a despair so overwhelming that you can't see the light of day? And you're wondering if this calling to faith actually makes logical sense? Or maybe you're experiencing a season so long, you're simply wondering, God, I don't really see you. When are you going to show up? See, I imagine Abraham in this moment, he's just sitting in a corner with his hands over his head down, just hopeless in the moment. But the hope that I want to share with you all this afternoon is the hope that we see in chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Just as darkness was closing in, chapter 12, verse 1, simply shows us that God calls. And in the same way, beloved family of God, God is calling you, and he's calling you to a hope of light into your soul's silencing darkness. Consider Abraham and Sarah in this moment. In this moment, there is nothing in their physical ability to conceive child. Sarah was barren. Abraham was old and washed up. There was no hope in modern medicine. There was no hope in advanced technology. The only hope that he had, the only chance that humanity got, if there was from the voice of God that was through them in the storm. So what does that simply tell us? That if God's plan is perfect in design, then even the current circumstances that you are in is actually perfectly planned for you. So you can hope. You can hope through it all. The biggest amount of pain, the most measurable amount of suffering, you can have hope because God placed that perfectly. And sometimes you can't make reason of it. I get it. Sometimes it may not make sense. I, I hear you. But what Scripture says is that you can at least hope. And it is for your good and for God's glory. Hebrew chapter 12 verse 2 says that God is the author and perfecter of our faith. Meaning, he's created circumstances, he's created situations, he's placed them perfectly. He placed them in a position where you no longer want to hear the lies through them and to live accordingly to the brokenness, but it's actually through the brokenness that you would rather hear the thunderous voice of an almighty creator king to remind you that he is also Abba Father, simply that when he calls, all we got to do is listen. See, it's in the past few years of pastoral ministry um, that God has graciously allowed me to partake in. And he's, through that, allowed me to hear these stories of, of just grace, hope, and renewal. But the one theme that I often hear about these hope stories and these renewal stories is that the path to it is never an easy one. 
See, it makes sense. See, the path to renewal and the path to hope is something that we may not be accustomed to. Why? Because in our lives, you know, the, the, the world trains us differently. Uh, that we are trained in life to cover up our pain with new experience. Uh, we're trained in life to cover up our suffering with success. I mean, even Christians, if I can say, we're in the church, we're so often to cover up our sin with a shallow understanding of repentance, and it just leads to a constant continuation of hopelessness. But what we see in Scripture is that when God calls us, the real voice of God becomes our real hope. It always comes to realizing that the real issue of hopelessness It's not because of any pressing circumstance, but it is without God we are hopeless people. This is the framework of salvation, that without God calling you by a persistent and saving grace to your stubborn sin, you and I are spiritually dead with no hope. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says that for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not yourselves, it is the very gift of God. And maybe this is you right now, maybe it's someone that you know. I just felt convicted to share this, that God is calling you right now. And what God is calling to you right now in this moment, in this season, in the long journey, he is a greater hope to your brokenness. I just want to let you know that he's a greater glory to your shame. And what scripture tells us is that he is a greater healing to your suffering. What is God calling you out of right now? In what ways do you need a little bit of chapter 12 hope in you? And what I'm encouraging simply is to just press on. What I'm encouraging everyone in this room is to rather than submerge your sorrow and allowing it to destroy you, would you consider that God is priming you to simply hear the powerful voice of God that is calling you, and he is calling you to go. He's calling you to a greater hope, And that leads us to our second point, that as he calls us to a greater hope, we find it because he gives us a greater security. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now here in verse 2 and 3, we begin to see God's promise to Abraham. And what does God promise Abraham? He's promising him many, many blessings. But I want us to be really clear when we talk about blessing. What are we talking about when we say the word blessing? I think it's really important that when we look at this passage and he's promising us blessing, this is not a passage that promises that as your faith increases, your material wealth will increase as well. This text is not saying that if you have faith in God, uh, he's going to deliver you uh, financial security and prosperity. This is not what we mean by blessing in this passage. 
if I could say it this way, it's reductionistic to the promise of God if it's just a theological foundation for prosperity. See, when God calls Abraham to many blessings, God is reminding Abraham of a holistic blessing. God is promising Abraham God himself. See, one commentator says it this way about this fourfold promise. What do we see? We see that there's a blessing of a nationhood. There's a blessing of a great name. There's a blessing of a divine protection and that he would essentially be a blessing, right? And this one commentator, he says that when you see this fourfold promise in one holistic union promise, it's a foretelling promise that echoes royal ideology. In other words, God is promising Abraham a king. God is promising Abraham that through him, as we acknowledge the Advent season, that there would be a king and he would be born. And this king that would be born, he would reign over all. That's why we see in chapter 12, it's actually Abram, but as we progress into chapters, it becomes Abraham, not the biggest information, but just a small detail. It's a name change. It simply says that he was once a father, but now he would be the father of all nations. And the king that will be birthed, the one that will be raised, is not referring to his son Isaac, which we will see later in the book of Genesis. It is not what we see in the Old Testament, in the Psalms of King David. But the king that God is promising Abraham is a greater son in his family thousands of years later, Jesus Christ. And it is because of Jesus. And when we remind ourselves of what the Apostle Paul says, this in him language, then when you are identified in Jesus, he gives you a new identity, but in that identity, he gives you new security. That if you think about today, what's the most important thing in life today? It's all about identity and what identifies you and that gives you security. What the Bible is saying is that there is a new identity and it is in him and it is in him that gives us a new security. That you're no longer in Jesus spiritually dead, but now you are alive. That you are not a sinner. But in Jesus, you are a sinner saved by grace. And because of Jesus, he secures us, not only to the entrance gate of eternity, but right now in the moment, he gives you a new radical sense of security that nothing of this world can actually offer. See, Jesus Christ, just like Abraham, but far greater, was also called to leave his household. But he didn't just leave his household. He left the most secure place that we could ever think of, the heavens with his father. Jesus Christ, just like Abraham, but far greater, he also followed this call to go. But he didn't go to just any foreign land. In full submission, he went to the cross to experience the very wrath of God. And you're wondering, why would he do such a thing? Why would a God so glorious give up in ultimate security? Because Jesus on the cross had to do it for you, for our salvation's sake. And it will be sealed 
and secured. And when you consider this truth, what we see in the Bible, what we see in Scripture, when that happens, when you place all of your faith and security in the God who is able to fully trust in him, what happens is it will shape how you live today. I mean, consider Abraham. Abraham, he finds his security in God's calling to be a nation and allowed him to give up the security of being in his household. Look at Abraham. He, he found his security in God's calling for him to having a great name, but that means he would give up the old security of being known in familiar territories. He found his security in God's calling for a new mission, and he gave up his security of the comfort that he once had. See, he found his security in the promises of God and he was beginning to let go of the promises that he once knew. And what I want to ask all of us right now this afternoon is, what's the one thing you find your security in? In what ways do you have to let that go? Would you consider hearing the voice of God? The same voice of God that told Abraham to go is the same voice of God that is telling you to go. And he's telling to you to go is because he's giving you a greater assurance. He's giving you a greater promise. There, there are these things in this world that are going to try to give you false promises. There are going to be a lot of people in your life that's going to give you false promises. There are going to be a lot of things in this world, the biggest desires that you want, and they're going to give you false promises. But they're all false. Where do you find your security in? This leads us to this third point. God calls us to a new agenda. Verse 4 and 5. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. See, what do we see in Abraham's call to go? We see in verse 4 and 5, he moves. Verse 4 and 5 tells us that Abram went as the Lord commanded him. So Abram, who was once in a secure household, is now a sojourner. That he was once settled, he's now traveling. He now has a new agenda towards what God is calling him to do. See, when God takes us out and he brings us in, nowhere in Scripture tells you to just settle. He tells us to move. And what we see in this passage is he's moving because he has a new agenda. He realizes it's not about just his small world, but that there's a kingdom far greater. I know, you know, Teslas, they, they tell us differently, but when you have a new life in Jesus, you are not meant to just be in cruise control. You're meant to go. You're meant to move forward, that you have a new agenda, 
that in this text tells you something really important about this new agenda. What does it mean to actually go and move forward? If you look in uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, there's a small detail, right? And it says that um, they set out from Ur of the uh, Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Now, why is this important uh, when we talk about a new agenda and what it means to go? Um, Ur literally means land of his family. The point made is that Abraham, he had to give up his family. And when I say give up his family, not like, hey, I'm going to go to Cali. I'll be back next year. I'll see you four days in Thanksgiving type of going away. When Abraham, he goes and he leaves his family, he had to give it all up. Because in ancient times, family was more than just what we see today. It represented full security. So in the same way, when God calls you to a new agenda to go and make disciples of all nations, one of the most significant and most important parts of going in a new agenda is to acknowledge the securities that you have to let go of. See, when God is calling you to him, and if true in the name of Jesus, it means that in every shape or form, that there should be a waging war against all of your selfishness. It should be a war against all self-centeredness and self-justification. See, Abraham, he gave up this present false sense of security for the sake of an eternal security to come. And in the same way, what's the one thing right now in your life that is bringing you a false sense of security? And I want us to as consider as we probe into our hearts is to ask if that is a stronghold that you can't let go of. And we all have one, right? We always find temporary security in something or someone. It may be a relationship. It may be a job. It may be a money. It may be the future household that you want. There's always someone or something and if it's a stronghold, if you're full assurance and full security, just simply asking, how is that picking at the promise? See, whatever it may be, plunge into the promises of God. Through him, allow the gospel to take away the power of the things, for they are just temporary. Take away its power. Let the gospel take away its power. Now, sometimes it does have to be drastic as maybe completing some, maybe taking it off completely. I don't know if that has to be the case every, you know, every single time. You know, wisdom and discernment and people will tell you in what capacity you got to do it. But allow the gospel take away the power of these things that you find ultimate security in. Allow the gospel to reverse the false sense of security that allow you to reverse the self-seeking expectations of those blessings. So in light of a new agenda, the first thing we got to see simply is like, what do you have to let go of so you can find more security in him? Secondly, something to just highlight, verse 6 through 8. It just gives us some details that um, Abraham, he built altars and he pitched tents. What does that mean? What does that really uh, showcase? Is that in the process of mission and moving forward and going in process and in his plan, he worshipped. That he, when he pitched tents, when he built altars, it was for the sake of worship. 
simply asking is in what ways in light of your life today and moving forward are you stopping and just worshiping who he is in what ways are you willing to just commit to Sundays? And it might not be 11 a.m., but, man, 4 p.m. is a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm going to worship it anyway because worship is important because I get to be with the people of God and celebrate with one another and essentially celebrate him. In what ways will you be committing to such things? See, the power of the gospel, it convicts us to leave the things that we find security in, for we find our full assurance through Jesus. And through Jesus, he gives you a greater agenda. Because it's in this greater agenda, we acknowledge that our kingdoms, the the small agendas that we have in in our pocket, are very, very small. But when we see in the lens of God and the power of the gospel, we see that what is ahead is much, much greater. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 10 says this, and I'll close, I will be out your way. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was caught to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham was given many promises. He was going to be a nation. He was going to have a great name, and all of the people would bless through him. But it was by faith and the hope of a promised son that allowed him to move forward in hope, security, and agenda. For you and I, this room, in the same way, know that God gave up his one and only son so that we too can live in light of a kingly grace for your long days. And we will live victoriously over sin and through suffering with the promised hope of tomorrow. Would you join me in prayer?